Morning, everyone. My name is Tim Porter, one of the pastors here at Faith Community, and thank you so much for joining us in the room. If this is one of your first times with us, thank you, uh, especially for being here this morning as we gather together online. Thank you uh, for joining this morning, and we uh, hope and pray that as we gather together in these ways that God would uh, continue to meet with us. As Shannon said earlier in the service, we are wrapping up our series today called Talking with God. And uh, one of the themes of this series is that you and I, in a relationship with Jesus, can have a real relationship with the living God. We talk here about uh, how we want uh, as many people as possible to discover and experience a gospel-inspired life. Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give it abundantly, and he says what that life is. It's not just a long life here in the world. It's not just, you know, having some uh, good things in this life. It's to actually know the living God, to have a vital union relationship with the living God. And because we have a relationship with the living God, because Jesus makes that possible, we can talk to God about everything and are, we are encouraged biblically to bring everything to God, to talk to him about anything and everything. Sometimes, though, we forget to talk to God or that we can talk to him about everything and everything. This, recently, I was meeting with someone who I'm in a discipleship relationship with, helping them uh, follow Jesus, and before our meeting, he had just received some news about a significant financial hardship that he was gonna have to endure. He was anxious, understandably anxious. He talked to me about how anxious he was, and he talked to me about how his different financial goals are going to be in jeopardy because of this, and he's not sure what he's going to have to do to uh, be able to pay off this financial hardship that he didn't see coming. And he talked for about 10 minutes or so, and I listened and asked follow-up questions, and then it started to dawn on me. And so I asked this question, not out of shame, but just to ask. Have you talked to God about any of this yet? All the different concerns, all the different anxieties, all the different frustrated goals that you have that you've just articulated to me, have you talked to God about that at all? No. He was doing, in one sense, what I would do, trying to figure it out as quickly as possible. So we paused our meeting, I got out of the room, and he just spent time praying talking to God about all the things that he talked to me about and even more. We've been trying in this series to let the scriptures, the Bible, show us what a real relationship with God is like, especially in prayer. That we come to God and give him things and talk to him about things that some people, maybe we've grown up in the church or are really strict Strict version of the church would say, you don't ever talk to God about those things. Talk to God and we're grieving and we are angry over what he's brought into our life or allowed to come into our lives. God, I'm angry with you about this. We talk to God about our anxieties and our insecurities. We, we lay them all bare to him. 
Last week I loved what Pastor Larry was saying. If you didn't listen to last week's sermon, you got to go back and listen to that last week's sermon about we come to God when we are guilty. I know about you, but I was identifying with Pastor Larry last week that when I know I did something wrong and my parents were going to be disappointed and angry, I would not draw near to them. I would avoid them as much as possible. But the God of the Bible, when we're guilty, and we're all guilty at some point in time, and we will still be guilty of doing things that are deeply offensive to God. We don't avoid Him. That's when we draw near. That's when we draw near. And today we're looking at a prayer, an interaction between a man named Moses and the Lord. And it's an honest conversation, a kind of conversation that's a model for us for how to talk to God. Especially at times when God puts something in our path or is calling us to do something that we don't feel equipped to do and we don't, quite frankly, really want to do it. I've wrestled with God in this way a few times in my life. I remember my wife and I wrestling with the invitation to become uh, lead senior pastor here at Faith Community Church. Thinking, thinking about all the different ways this was going to cost us and why this probably wasn't the best idea. There's times when God calls us to do things that we don't want to do, but we know that he's calling us and we know he won't take no for an answer. And we still need to talk it through with him. And God invites us to do that. We just sang, you send the wind wherever you want. When you speak, it goes, and so will I. Really? Sometimes the so will I will be, well, let's just talk about this for a little while, God. You're learning from Moses today to bring the real you, the, the sub-theme of this series in many ways has been bring the real you. Not a false you, not a you that you hope to like sort of project onto God and hope that he thinks this is what you're like, but to bring the real you, your real concerns, your real angst, your real anxieties, your real emotions, your real anger, your real frustration, your real joys, to bring the real you, your real inadequacies, to bring the real you to the real God. That's what it means to talk to him. And he wants that. He encourages it. He invites it. He shows what it looks like. We're reading a longer section of scripture, but it's a dialogue between God and Moses. We're going to be learning from it's Exodus 3, verse 1 through 417. It's found on page, pages 446 through 447. And the Bible's in front of you. And I just want you to, um, as we go through this, there's going to do two things. One is... Um, that we're going to be talking a lot about a lot of different opportunities to be involved in serving here at Faith Community. And it's a great way to connect and grow your faith through serving. And at times, what we're praying for is that God would call you into various ways. And God, in the next month, might be calling you and nudging you and pressing on you to be involved in kids' ministry. And you're like, no, 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 kids, I don't want to hang out with kids that much. And I don't, I'm too uncool and all that kind of stuff. No. We're praying that God would speak 
and call you into ministry to serve. And if you have objections, what do you do with those objections? Talk to others, but also talk to God. Exodus 3, 4 through 17. Just a little background here before we jump into this discussion, uh, this dialogue between Moses and God. Um, the people of Israel have been in Egypt for hundreds of years, and a, there has been a shift in how the pharaohs treated the people of Israel, treated the Hebrews. At first, they were very welcome, and then hostilities started to grow, and Pharaoh, uh, the current Pharaoh, started to take on um, oppressing and injustice toward the people of Israel, towards the Hebrews that were in his kingdom. And Pharaoh was the reigning superpower, the regional superpower of the day, extremely powerful, and could do whatever he wanted to do, and he was oppressing the people of Israel. People of Israel calling out to God. God hears their cries, and he sets apart a man named Moses as a baby born into Egypt. Pharaoh was so controlling and so wicked that he instituted infanticide, the killing of, the, uh, killing of male babies, to keep from the people of Israel to grow and to maybe take over the kingdom. Moses, by God's kindness, was able to circumvent that law of the land and he was adopted, Moses was adopted in a strange turn of events that only God could orchestrate, was adopted into the very household of Pharaoh. And he grew up in the court of Pharaoh. Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. He knew his tribe and his ancestry. And one day, as a young man, full of idealism and anger over the way his countrymen were being treated by the Egyptians, he lashed out and killed two Egyptians who were mistreating one of his Hebrew countrymen. Pharaoh found out about it. Word started to spread in Egypt about this Moses and what he had done, even though he tried to hide his tracks. And he became a fugitive of justice, living out in the wilderness, ran away from Egypt and became a shepherd, following after sheep. He got married, had children, and after years of being a shepherd, wandering around after sheep, God meets Moses. Pick up the story there. Verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jephro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Great question. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not come near Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. 
And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Not the Hudsonites, sorry. (laughs) And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites not the Hudsonites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. And then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and then Moses ran away from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like that of the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. 
If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what to speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. Now, take in your hand the staff with which you shall do these signs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we interact with this passage and as we see how Moses and God talk to one another, um, just a reminder that God could have called Moses at a very different time in Moses' life. There was a time when Moses was strong, young, idealistic, and had all the makings of being a revolutionary and somebody that God could actually really use to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. Moses already showed it. He hated the injustice that was being done to his people, the Hebrews, and he was willing to take a life to show it. And that's not when God called Moses. God waited. Decades. Decades until Moses no longer had idealism, probably couldn't see very well, not very strong, a lot of aches and pains in his body. He was old. And the first thing that God is teaching us about when he calls us to do things is he doesn't call us because we're capable. He calls us in spite of our weaknesses, because the whole point of God's mission is to be called into something that you and I are not capable to do on our own. If we feel intimidated, if we feel overwhelmed by the things that God might call us to do, if we feel fearful about what God might call us to do, that's the very point, because it's not about us doing it. It's about God doing it through us and with us and us being changed along the way. And as Moses comes to grips, with Moses comes to grips with what he's being called to do, he, he talks to God and he brings his real objections, his real concerns, his real problems to God as a model for, that you, and, for you and me so that we can bring our real objections, our real concerns, our real emotions to the living God, to talk with him. Now, this is unique from Moses. Moses is being called to go to the regional superpower of the day. This is no easy task. It should be intimidating. 
And what Moses does with the intimidation, again, is he brings it to God. The reason why this is so important to see is, well, mention this a little bit more later on, but it's so important to see is that some of us grew up in places and in church homes or something like that where it's like God is holy and he's distant and you do not question him. You just do what he says to do right away. Others of us, maybe growing up in a situation where God is just this nice squishy grandfather in the sky. He'll never ask you to do something difficult and maybe if he does, he'll He'll endure you, and he'll never get angry with you. But we see something about God, the God who is there, the real God who is there, who both gets angry at Moses, but is exceedingly patient as Moses works this through with God. So let's just look and see how Moses talks to God. He has five objections. First one is in verse 11, after he hears what God's calling him to do. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Great question. Who am I? Who am I? This is not me. And that's the exact point. God responds with, Yeah, it's not about you, Moses. I will be with you. I will be with you. The very thing at times that it's a good qualification for God calling somebody is that they automatically say, uh, I'm the wrong person. I shouldn't do this. Because again, it's not about our gifts, our capabilities, our strengths. All those are important, and God gives strengths, and he gives gifts, and he gives all these kinds of capabilities. But really, at the end of the day, it's about what God does in and through us in his mission. It's the first objection. Second objection comes in verse 13. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? A really good objection, really good question. God, you don't get it. We've been in Egypt for a really long time, and many of my Hebrew fellow countrymen and countrywomen, they, they don't know you anymore, and they don't know your name anymore. And there's all kinds of other gods in Egypt, and they all have names, and we know what their job is if, based on what their name is. Can you at least let me know what your name is so I can tell it to them? Because they don't know you that much as well. Third objection comes. Moses answered, but look, behold, when you send me to the elders of Israel, look, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Now, sometimes we think that just because some of these events happen in the Bible, that everybody in the ancient cultures and uh, times of the Bible, um, they believed all kinds of crazy things, and so it'd be natural for them to hear Moses say, hey, okay, I was out on Mount Horeb this afternoon, and God appeared to me in a bush, and it was burning, and it didn't burn up. It wasn't consumed. And God told me that I'm supposed to come talk to you leaders of Israel, and God's going to get us out. But we got to go tell the king 
of Pharaoh, the regional superpower of the area uh, of the day, and we have to go tell him that God wants us to go on a three-day journey, uh, just a little bit of a break from production and the economic wealth engine of Egypt. We're just going to go for a few days, and we're going to go worship. Now, if you're an elder in Israel, in Egypt, and you hear Moses, are you going to be like, oh, totally, that makes a lot of sense. I'm all in, Moses, let's do it. God's on you, God's with you, God's with us. The risk involved in the elders going with Moses to the king and saying, we're going to take your economic wealth engine and do a three-day vacation. And that's just the start. No way. The king most likely would kill them. You want to try to lead your people out? See ya. It's a real objection, a real concern. Moses gives a fourth objection. Four, chapter four, verse ten. But Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Any of you who may know somebody or you have dealt with a speech impediment, you know that when you're in anxious situations, that speech impediment shows up even more. It's more pronounced. And what would it be like for Moses to go into the court of the king having to guard every word just in case the king gets easily angered and kills him. And now he has to carefully describe what God is calling to do and to do so in a way that um, Pharaoh is not offended. That raises the standards really high. And the Lord says, look, I'm the one that made your mouth. I formed it, I shaped it. That's why I'm calling you. Because again, it's not about you, Moses. It's about what I'm going to do through you. And I'll give you Aaron. I'll talk to you, Moses. And then, Moses, you'll talk to Aaron like you're me, telling him what to say. I've provided for everything, Moses. You're the one. And so that we know that these objections are real, but they're leading somewhere. Moses isn't just like working this through like, okay, well, what's the contingency plan for this? Or what's the contingency plan for this? What's the contingency plan for this? Uh, the full disclosure comes out in the fifth objection. And Moses just says to God, oh my Lord, please just send somebody else. Please just send someone else. Moses doesn't want to do it. It's here that we read that Moses started to understand and experience that God's anger was kindled in this moment. For those of you who are maybe familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia series, you know that C.S. Lewis described the Christ figure in the series as a lion, and that he's a, not a tame lion, but he's good. He's a lion. And he's a lion in such a way that 
that, that, that's good, that the, the children of the Pevensey kids, can, they can wrestle with him, they can ride on his back, they can nuzzle up against this lion, their face under his fur, and just come really close and feel his breath on their cheeks. They can get really, really close to this lion because he's good. But every now and again, the lion growls. Just to let everybody know that's close to him, that he's still a lion. Not to be trifled with. So again, the Lord here in this fifth objection, imagine, I could be totally wrong, it's my own imagination, but Moses knew that at this time, God started to get angry. Maybe it's a change of tone of voice. Maybe there's a little growl in what he said. He knew that he was angry. Now, Moses is showing us, I think this is recorded in Scripture for us, and Moses is showing us, the Lord is showing us, that you and I can talk to God this way. We're invited to talk to God in this way. To give him our real objections, to give him our real concerns, because it's about a real vital relationship with the living God who's made and sustains everything. Question. Is that how you talk to God? Do you feel invited, confident to talk to God in these kinds of ways? Moses felt confident to do that because he was learning something about who God is. Moses was bringing the real him to God because he was meeting the real God. And the real God, the God who is there, is far better and more gracious and kind and compassionate than any other God that we can think of or make up. The real God who is there. Now, I want to emphasize something here. We're going to see why Moses can have this kind of confidence, why you and I can have this kind of confidence as well, to bring our real selves to the real God. And the reason why I think this is important is that I was told at different times, like, hey, you can, you can tell God about your anger at him. He's big enough he can handle it. That's a really crummy reason. Better is you can bring the real you to the real God because the real God is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and delights in the truth. Moses, in one of his objections, hears something about, well, back up. Moses goes over, has this encounter with God because as he's out with the sheep, he sees this bush that's burning. It's on fire, and yet it's not being consumed. And he's like, what's going on there? Great question. Never seen that before in the desert, so I'm going to go check that out. Now, that was intriguing to Moses, and it was, a curi- it awakened Moses' curiosity. But the real interesting, the real puzzle in this passage isn't the burning bush and how God could make a bush burn without it being consumed. The real puzzle in this passage is how is it that Moses 
could talk to God the way he talks to God and not be consumed. See, the God who is there and meeting with Moses is a holy God. A holy God. As Moses was approaching the bush, out of the bush we hear God speaking this. Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I in verse 5. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God is holy and he will not tolerate unclean things to come into his presence or they will be obliterated. Moses, walking around with sheep all the time, has sheep poop all over his sandals. He needs to take them off because he's coming into the presence of the living God. And he even has his face bowed low because he's afraid to see the face of God. How can Moses enter into the presence of God who is holy and not be consumed with his resistance, his objections, his honest discussion with God, his complaints? That's the real puzzle. See, Moses is learning something about God. God is not some kind of made-up God. God is the God who is there and who is far better and far greater than any God that we can make up. And it's because of God's character that we can be drawn into being honest and bring the real us to the real God. In response to one of Moses' objections about if I go to the people and say, the God, God has sent me to you. We're going to take the people of Israel out of Egypt. Who should I say is sending me? Who is it? What's your name? What is your name? What name should I give them to say that you sent me? And this is how the Lord responds. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, there's a little bit of a wordplay going on here in this passage, and it helps to know a little Hebrew to understand the wordplay. You maybe have heard God's name as Yahweh. God's name is Yahweh. In Hebrew, it's pronounced, we don't really fully know how it's pronounced, but in Hebrew, it's pronounced a little bit more like this, Yahweh, Yahweh. That's the Lord. Whenever you see lowercase or uh, lowercase capitals in, no, small caps, small caps in the text in the Old Testament, Lord, L-O-R-D, that's the Lord's name. That's Yahweh. But God says, I want you to know, and here's the word play, I'm not also, I'm not, I'm just not simply Yahweh. I am Yahweh. That's how you say I am in Hebrew. Yahweh. I am. Yahweh. Yeah, yeah. And what the Lord is letting Moses know is that I am who I am. Because Moses, or God hears in Moses' objection. What is your name? Let me tell them what your name is. He hears a big problem that he wants to correct. See, to know the name of gods is to have some kind of control over them. In the 
land of Egypt, there's all kinds of gods, for, gods and goddesses for all kinds of activity and all kinds of for, for fertility, for good crops, for um, a safe flight into a safe movement from the life into death. There's all kinds of gods. And if you know their name, you know their area, you know what they do, and you know how to sacrifice to them to try to get what you want from them. And the Lord says to Moses, look, in the midst of all that context, in the midst of Egypt, you need to know that this is who I am. This is my name. I am. I'm not made up. I'm not a projection of humanity. I'm not contingent on you or your worship. I'm not a part of creation. I am. In fact, everything exists because of me, the Lord is saying. And this is so important to see about the God of the Bible. One of the reasons why I'm a Christian, this is one of many, but one of the reasons why I'm a Christian is that as I look at other religions other than the religion of Jesus and following after him, whether it's got multiple gods like Hinduism or one other, one God like Islam, when I look at all other kinds of religions, to me, in my assessment, they just look like grown-up, more powerful humans. You can see how we can invent those gods. But the God of the Bible is so good, so good, there's never been a culture or a person who's been able, who would ever be able to invent him. If you don't know God, the God of the Bible, that way, Come talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you more about that. But we also investigate the God of the Bible in that kind of way. He is so good. See, Moses is experiencing something with God that, that Moses will later hear from the very mouth of God about what he is like. Later on, after Moses brings the people of Israel out of Egypt and they're on the mountainside and they're worshiping just like God said that they would do, Moses asks to see God's glory. Here in this passage, he hides his face. He doesn't want to see God. Now he wants to see God's glory. And this is what the Lord says to Moses about who he is and what his glory is like. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, small caps, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That's the God who is there. The God who is very patient with us, compassionate, slow to anger. Parents, how many of us would be patient if we were God telling Moses what to do? How many of us with our, parent, with our children are this patient as God is with Moses? In our household, we, we tried to parent and train toward a standard of first-time obedience. Levi, I need you to go do this. Yes, Dad. Levi, I need you to go do this. Yes, Mom. Didn't happen all the time, clearly. But first-time obedience. Moses doesn't have first-time obedience. The Lord is compassionate, patient allows him to pour out, God allows him to pour out his objections and his concerns. 
and still gets angry. But that anger doesn't lead to punishment. That anger's out of love. Moses, I've heard enough. You're the one. Now go. Pick up your staff. It's time to go. Is that the God that you talk to? Because that's the God who's there. That's the God who Jesus reveals. One of the reasons why, one of the reasons, we'll close this way, one of the reasons why we're able to talk to God this way is because we have a mediator, someone who stands in the gap between God's holiness and our imperfection. I don't know if you noticed as we read through, we read through it pretty quickly, but there's this interesting figure, person, in this story that we haven't mentioned yet. He shows up in the bush, the burning bush. He's called the angel of the Lord. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses, appeared to him in a flame of fire, out in the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. This angel of the Lord, this also known, you could take the word angel and make it messenger and translate it that way, probably better here in this situation because we tend to think about angels as created beings and this is no created being, this angel of the Lord when he shows up. When he shows up, God is there and God is present. And this angel of the Lord, this messenger of the Lord is a mediator between Moses and between God. Notice that God is doing the speaking through this angel and this angel this messenger this mediator is receiving worship from moses he bows down to him other angels when other people try to bow, bow down to them worship them he's like no 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 don't bow down to me don't bow down to me i'm only an angel i'm only a creature this messenger doesn't do that he speaks for the lord in power as if he is the lord He's the angel, the messenger of the Lord. What do we do with this one? Well, one, we see that he's a mediator. And best scholarship that's out there looks at the Old Testament whenever this angel of the Lord, this messenger of the Lord shows up and you start to see all these little patterns where he is like the Lord and a little bit different from the Lord. He's distinct from him. He is someone who accepts worship from, from people and yet he, um, he's also this messenger. He's uh, this cloudy figure in the Old Testament. Why? Because whenever the angel of the Lord shows up, the presence of Jesus is there. Scholars call this the prefigurement, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Jesus was in the bush. He was a mediator so that Moses could be honest and not be consumed. And that was before Jesus lived and died and rise, rose again. How much more can you and I have confidence that in Jesus, because he takes all of our sin, past, present, and future, because he's a mediator between you and me and God and his holiness, we are able to be honest with God, not fearing being consumed, but delighting knowing that when we're honest with God, he is patient with us because he wants a relationship with us. He's done everything he needs to bring us into that relationship with him. What I'd like to do is transition us to just praying and praying silently. I want to invite you this morning to 
just spend a few moments praying silently about any concerns you have about life, any anxieties, any disappointments that you're still wrestling through. Maybe God is calling you to do something that you don't want to do, and you know it, but you've got objections and you want to know contingencies. Talk to God about those things right now, just silently. Maybe you came in knowing that you don't know Jesus and you don't, didn't want to know anything about him. And maybe now you want to know a little bit more about him. Talk to him about that. Talk to God about that. Father, we come to you thanking you that we are able to pour out our hearts to you. We're able to bring the real us to the real you because the real you is full of compassion, full of mercy, ever faithful, forgiving and abounding in steadfast love. Help us to rest our hearts in who you really are cultivate the relationship that we have together and draw us to you. Father, it's amazing that you invite us and you call us and sometimes command us to talk to you about everything and anything. Continue to teach us how to do that because we're made for you, saved for you. And one day we will see you face to face. Here in the room, would you please stand? We close our time singing one more song together. Asking God to come and to fill us and to move in us.